1: Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein.
2: Good afternoon uh, on the West Coast. Good evening on the East Coast. Thanks for listening. This is Joe Schuldenrein, and I'm pleased to bring you our eighth installment of the series, Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. This is the fourth program in a series of contemporary archaeological topics. We're examining the changing ways in which our field is adapting to the realities of the new millennium. Our most recent episodes, if you tuned in earlier, address topics that don't so much deal with more traditional interpretations of ancient cultures as they do with applications of archaeology to contemporary life. We've labeled this approach, perhaps grandiosely, as the archaeology of relevance. Over the past two weeks, we explore topics that are most applicable to archaeology's role in the historic preservation industry and the growth of private consulting in an increasingly commercialized preservation environment. This week's program changes focus to the increased influence of women in evolving academic and private industry venues. As we discussed last week, the impetus for much of the changes in archaeology generally and for, uh, for women's involvement as well comes from the social change movements of the late 1960s and early 1970s. The influence of women in these movements is now the subject of an extensive literature, as most of you probably know, but their evolving roles in archaeology is a subject that is certainly not as well known to the general public and even arguably not even to archaeological professionals who are now two and three generations. Generations removed from the first wave of liberation movements of half a century ago. That said, women have had a strong impact on archaeology since the early decades of the 20th century. In particular, uh, the traditional prehistoric sequences of the Middle East were in no small measure fashioned by such strong personalities and accomplished scholars as Kathleen Kenyon, the scientist who excavated Jericho, and Dorothy Garrett and Diana Kirkbride, who helped to develop the Stone Age sequences of the Levant. Nevertheless, the fact remains that the role of women began to be felt in much larger measure since the 1980s. With me to discuss these developments and to provide eyewitness accounts of the shifting role and status in archaeology are two of the more successful practitioners in the field. Julie K. Stein is the executive director of the Burke Museum of Natural History and Culture at the University of Washington. She is a professor in the Department of Anthropology, received her M.A. and Ph.D. degrees from the University of Minnesota. Her research interests are primarily concerned with the subdiscipline of geoarchaeology, where incidentally I met her, especially the study of sediments found within archaeological sites. She emphasizes coastal adaptations of prehistoric people and specializes in the Northwest Coast. Dr. Stein has published books such as Is It a House, Archaeological Excavations at English Camp San Juan Islands in Washington, Exploring Coast Salish Prehistory, the Archaeology of San Juan Islands exploring a, a shell midden and her uh, other books related to broader topics include the effects of scale on archaeological and geoscientific perspectives, which deals with interdisciplinary research and sediments in archaeological context, which examines archaeological sediments in a variety of uh, sedimentary settings. Susan Chandler, is a registered professional archaeologist with 36 years of experience on prehistoric and historic investigations in the western united states ms chandler is president of alpine archaeological consultants in Colorado and she founded that firm in 1987 she has worked on projects in Arizona Colorado New Mexico Utah and Wyoming as well as in El Salvador she has a master's degree in anthropology from the University of Colorado and has publications in uh, such uh, journals as American uh, American Archaeology and Utah Archaeology and has published chapters in edited volumes uh, published by the School for Advanced Research and the University of Texas She's also authored many, uh, over a hundred unpublished papers and reports uh, dealing with cultural resources. She has served as the treasurer of the Society for American Archaeology and has served on the New Mexico Archaeology Council. Uh, Julie and Susan, uh, welcome to our program. I'm thrilled to have you here. Thank you, Joe.
3: Thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure.
2: Good. Let's begin with a little bit of historical perspective. Julie, I know that you have been involved in uh, tracking and monitoring to some degree the uh, changing roles of women in your experience as a scientist and as an academic researcher and teacher. Can you give us a little bit of your historical perspective on these topics and how things have changed, say, since the late 1980s?
3: Well, I think if anyone went into a university classroom today and looked at the group of students assembled there, they would be surprised to realize that in the 1980s, um, the gender balance was very different. Today, you would see mostly women, and in the 80s, there were uh, more than 50% men. And I think that change may be reflected in other social sciences uh, across um, many disciplines, um, but in archaeology, I think it was particularly um, telling because it is on a discipline that's based on fieldwork, and um, Susan certainly knows this, that when you are out in the field doing, art, doing uh, arduous fieldwork um, with a group of people who have social interactions all day long, working hard, making decisions, cooperating in a group dynamic, um, you often have uh, all sorts of uh, issues come up, and one of them, of course, would involve gender. Uh, in the 1980s, the discipline, when we'd go to a national conference, it was often uh, men that were presenting. Men were usually the discussants, and uh, there would be women, but the kinds of talks they gave were about pottery or about plants. Um, and that all began to change uh, and culminated, at least the beginning of the culmination, was a conference that was held in 1988 in South Carolina. I was not there. It was organized by Joan Giro and Meg Conkey. Uh, and... It was a group of of people assembled to talk about ar- uh, archaeological research that involved women, and it ended up in a book called Engendering Archaeology, Women in Prehistory. It was published in 1991. And the papers that were in that volume, I think, represent the papers and books that have followed in the, la, in the next 20 years. The first thing that was most interesting and um, kind of shocked everyone were the papers that dealt with finding women in the archaeological record that we had as a discipline been focusing on those activities that traditionally were thought of as male activities like hunting and stone tools and spear points and uh shaman who were usually men and um, the one paper that i was most closely tied to was one by Patty Jo Watson and Mary Kennedy and they talked about how domestication of plants was was always thought it was shaman male shaman who somehow or other came up with the concept of domesticating plants and their paper said that if women are the gardeners and women are the planters and women are the plant processors, why aren't women the people who actually domesticated the plants? that's a fairly simple notion, but it was revolutionary because everybody had assumed that it switched genders and that it was males that domesticated the plants. So there was a a number of papers who just kind of rethought Thought or gave voice to women's interpretations in archaeology. Other of them focused on looking at what women did in prehistory, and then there was a very relatively small number of papers that uh, focused on um, the gender inequities in the workplace in the discipline of archaeology. But once that volume hit the the book hit the um, bookshelves. I think uh, the discipline of archaeology and the tenor of the national con- conferences and even the classrooms themselves began to change and reflected the, those topics that were brought up in that first and um,
2: formative book. So, so you're you're looking at two trends here. I I think you're, you're you're sort of increasing the consciousness of women just in terms of their profile in the profession, and also in terms of the actual types. Of interpretations that you have about the prehistoric past, so these seem to be pretty well interlinked. It seems to be like like there's convergence of of how you're studying it academically and how you're actually defining the roles that you perform in the archaeological profession. That, that that's something that that uh, seems to be very very noteworthy. Was that something that that people developed subsequently?
3: Well, I think it was incredibly empowering. Yes, because first of all. Um, women had been in the classroom and I'd gotten my PhD and I was told by my professors and they were male and female, but even the female professors were looking at male issues because they'd been trained. And I mean, that's just what we did. And so it was, it was about, you know, projectile point or arrowhead types and, you know, where they, how were they fashioned? Uh, it was a, you know, very much an emphasis on how um, how people lived and how they gathered their food, but it was an emphasis on hunting. And although that certainly wasn't true a hundred percent of the time, there certainly were people who were fascinated with pottery. From the for a hundred years, archaeologists have been focused on on pottery and how did you make it? How did you decorate it? How do we use it to tell time? And women tend to. To be in the slot of the person who studied pottery. And men were in the slot of archaeologists who studied stone tools. And it was exciting time because you could switch and you could ask any question you wanted and you could ask something that wasn't in a particular category. And it was very liberating. And an incredible amount of innovative research was done at that point in time. Uh, especially.
2: Oh. So we're looking at a, at a major innovation here uh, in the way people are thinking about archaeology and in the way they're doing archaeology. Um, this seems like uh, something that obviously took hold and continued to progress. Um, we... Uh, I would like to get Susan's input here a little bit as to how you found these changes influencing you when you began to uh actually go out on your own and found your own company.
4: Well yes, I I was was interested in your introduction in your placing the 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 1970s as as a a time when the women's liberation movement was was taking hold and from the perspective of, of my business, which is cultural resource management, that coincides with the passage of the National Historic Preservation Act, which essentially created the need for consulting archaeologists.
2: So Let's, let's get back to that when we come back from break. We will uh, resume this discussion in the next uh, couple of minutes after these few messages. Thank you.
5: Explore the power and beauty in yourself and in others. Tune in to The Stacey Stern Show, enriching you. Every week, Stacey Stern will connect you with men and women who are living and working from a place of passion. Stacey's guests include successful authors, filmmakers, actors, experts, and leaders. You'll hear what inspires each of them, and you'll be turned on to great films, books, and new media. Tune in to The Stacey Stern Show, enriching you. Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's all about action. Touchdown! Scores. Taking a look at the NBA tonight. Highlights. He's broken loose.
0: He's at the 30.
5: And headlines.
1: Big trade in the NFL this afternoon.
5: When you are looking to talk sports, look no further than the Voice America Sports Network. We bring you some of the biggest names and all the sports news you can handle. Whether it's basketball. Off the glass. Football. Come on. Move. Golf. Racing. Or the Olympics. We've got... Got you covered. We'll even cover tailgating. <laughs> Tune in to the Voice America Sports Network. It's all things sports. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com.
1: Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra Now, back to the program. Can you do-
2: so Sheldon Ryan back with you on the program Indiana Jones Myth Reality and 21st Century Archaeology. We're talking about the changing role of women in archaeology over the past 20 or 30 years, and uh, we're looking at this from a variety of different perspectives. Initially, from the academic perspective, where Julie Stein has explained effectively how uh, the mentoring process changed somewhat and the interpretation of archaeology uh, changed as well. Uh, at this particular time as as women became more prominently involved. And now Susan Chandler is also telling us that there seems to be a coincidence between the emergence of of, uh, the National Historic Preservation Act and the increasing commercialization of archaeology and the emergence of women in that particular venue, in other words, in a commercial venue. Susan, would you pick up on that a little bit?
4: Well, yes. I I think that when, when I started studying in archaeology, there wasn't necessarily an expectation among the archaeology students that that this was something you were going to be able to to do for a living. I, I think there was hope you might get a job in a museum or in a university, but more there were more students than there, there were jobs, and and then. All of a sudden, we have regulations uh, for doing cultural resource work, um, archaeology, and history, and and there was a there were jobs being created and, and at a rather rapid pace. So, I I went to work uh, immediately after completing my undergraduate degree. Took a a, a brief time to work and and returned for, to. To pursue my graduate education and and have have been working full time as an archaeologist my my entire career. Similarly to what Julie was saying as as to the changing faces in the in the classroom, we we have uh, roughly half and half on on our permanent staff are are men and and women and and we are seeing more women than than men apply to us for the the seasonal. Work that we do here.
2: Well, so, yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Continue, please.
4: Oh, I, I was going to say I. I didn't set out to, to start my own company. I was I was working as an employee and and satisfied in that role. And I was uh, interested to hear your guests last week both say that they started their cultural resource consulting companies because uh, they lost their jobs and and that was indeed what happened to us the my husband who is also an archaeologist and I were working for a company that just closed its doors and we and and the man who would become our business partner were faced with having to pack up our family and, and move out of town and find not only one job but two jobs in the same profession and and we we said, well, what the heck? Well, let's just see if we can do this on our own. So, so that so, is how I so, came came to be a business business owner.
2: So despair breeds initiative, huh? <laughs> yeah, indeed. Okay, let's let's look at something. I mean. Uh, look let 's be candid. Archaeology is uh, especially in the, in the context that i 've formulated some of the uh, some of the sort of watchwords of this show, Indiana Jones, looking at it as very male oriented very macho oriented kind of a field is what one of the images that i think a lot of the public has and 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 we have discussed this uh, on several occasions as uh, to how that image had changed or has it changed really uh given these developments over the past 30 years julie how has this changed in the classroom in training in the various roles that men and women are groomed for or how they're practicing them uh in within the context of the monarchy I'll-
3: well, first of all, people are hypersensitive about uh, biases that are inherent in all of us. And teachers, uh, university professors are often given training on um, uh, to uncover their biases or strategies for um, trying to um, minimize their biases. So today I I just don't think you a professor would get away with doing or saying the things that were said regularly um 20 uh 30 uh and 40 years ago um, but yet it's the subtlety that still exists in the classroom. Uh when uh, one subtlety that that happens regularly is the professor will ask a uh, rote question about uh, a year public, uh, an article was published or some kind of uh, fact-natured question, and they'll call on a woman student. And then when they ask a synthetic question, theoretical, more thought-provoking question, they'll unconsciously call on the male student um, and this is a very difficult bias in uh a person to realize that you're doing it's not evil it's the person the professor is not evil it is one of these um, just uh cultural uh biases that we think men are authoritative and synthetic and women are uh rote and um, clerical and That is the subtlety that I think we're all still fighting against, but we're talking about it. And that is a huge step forward from 20, 30 years ago.
2: Susan are you seeing that as well i mean especially in a professional environment where let's say the woman is the company owner is effectively the top top dog for lack of a better word in the operation and is effectively telling people this is what you must do this is how it has to work are you finding any resistance uh, or has that changed uh, in terms of uh, resistance men uh, having a problem dealing with women authority figures is that a problem
4: not among my, my staff or we don't also see a, a problem among the archaeologists themselves. If, if we have seasonal workers and, uh, the, the field supervisor is a, a woman, the, the inter the interactions are, are good. Where we run into some, some difficulty is sometimes working with, uh, particularly landowners and some company people who are just quick to make the assumption when you have a, a mixed group of people out in the field that they need to, to talk to the, to the woman. So the, the woman who's in charge has to really ass- assert herself that, uh, you know, no, just because because there's a guy with me, he, he's not the one who is in charge of the project. So, so that... That seems to be a fairly standard thing. I'll, although uh, one of my my male staff says that when they have difficult interactions with perhaps a, an angry landowner, uh, they're not angry at the archaeology; they're angry that a pipeline's going through their property or something like that. And, and we are we are the face of, of that development. Uh, that when when he has a a mixed gender crew in the field it seems to diffuse the situation because uh the the person who's confrontational is usually male and he'll he'll just tone it tone it down because because of women being present. But I agree with what Julie said as well as as uh my my staff I think is is hyper aware of of being egalitarian and um, you know people do have have different abilities in in the field uh as far as say the amount of of dirt someone can shovel in a day, and you know it it doesn't split on male female lines but but we find sometimes we have uh people who who are pleading pleading weakness it's not necessarily a a woman but it um it can be the, Men wanting to show that they're macho and and women letting letting men do do some he- of the heavier lifting for them. Just uh, some sometimes as as you were both aware, there, there's a lot of courtship that, that goes on in a in a field archaeology setting. We we have some itinerant workers. So they're out of college. They're they're looking for for partners and archaeologists. Often, often are couples, so, so sometimes we do have some, some funny dynamics that develop along, along those lines. Not, not bad, not good, but just, uh, (laughs) uh, but things that, that are there. I think archaeology is one of the
3: few disciplines that takes mixed gender groups into remote areas for somewhat long periods of time, and by that I mean weeks, sometimes months, and takes them out of their familiar setting, puts them in an unfamiliar, remote setting, and they have to work together hard, hard physical labor, intense mental labor, and they have to also live together. They have to come up with some way to... Cook and some way to wash their clothes and some way to, to pitch a tent and get water. And it's a, I can't think of another discipline where you do that kind of thing. Geologists tend to go out in twos and threes, not in twenties and thirties.
2: <laughs> That's true.
3: And, uh, I just, I think it, it makes the discipline of archaeology a different Thing. Because if you do three or four or five of those different expeditions, you have lived in a remote setting in a difficult social situation, where with up to fifty different people, it can get up to seventy-five and a hundred different people, and you have very strong ties to these people. And the longer you're together, the more quick, the more the the gender differentiation falls apart or falls down because you start relying on people not because they're a man or a woman but because they're strong or they're reliable or they're smart or they are good editors or they don't make
4: mistakes or they're good with math or... Exactly. And when, when we're hiring or rehiring, the category plays well with others is at the very top of the list when we're we're considering who we want to put in that situation.
3: I've often wondered why in archaeology there is the absolute necessity of going to a field school before you apply for graduate school. It is you must, almost everyone requires that you demonstrate that you've done a field educational experience. And I think my own feeling is the reason for this is that it is um, trial by fire in that if you've done a field school and you still want to go to graduate school, you still want to be an archaeologist, then you must have gotten along with the plays well with others. You must have scored highly Mm -hmm. (laughs) enough on that, or else you'd go away. You'd run away screaming. So...
2: We'll get back to this topic on team teamwork, archaeology and gender when we get back after the next uh, couple of breaks. Talk,
5: talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 1111 Talk Radio. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.
5: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. Voiceamerica.com.
1: Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra geoarc.com. Now, back
2: to the program. John, I'm back with you on our uh, program discussing gender and the increased and changing influence of women in the field of archaeology. We were discussing how during the course of large-scale excavations that last for a long time, uh, gender roles eventually break down where it's absolutely necessary that people demonstrate the skills that are necessary for bringing a project into uh, successful achievement and, and completion. And yet, uh, some stereotypes die hard and what i was going to ask you Julie, at at the outset here is professional development once students advance from that early college romance with archaeology and they go into the rigorous mode of going to graduate school and actually developing a career how how do these have these stereotypes broken down or is there still a bias and, and and where are we with that
3: well, I do think there are still uh biases in that uh field work for example. Uh this may men are more willing to go to remote areas that are, you know, dangerous. And I I think there's nothing we're ever going to do about that. It is more dangerous for women to be in certain situations than it is for men. And Uh, We work on that and uh, I think that a lot of people work on it, but the world is becoming uh, either uh, smaller and therefore we can go to more places, but also more dangerous and we don't want to take students to some places. So field work is an area that I see still having some gender issues. Now, I work in San Juan Islands, which is off the coast of the state of Washington, um, near 100 miles from Seattle, Washington, certainly not dangerous at all. So I would get a lot of women applicants to the field school uh, because they, it was a safe place that they could go and not know any anyone. My... Um, I also see students go to Alaska frequently. Women students go to remote parts of Alaska because the biggest danger there is not other humans but bears, and they're all trained with guns. And so it's the danger of being in a a country where they may not be uh, safe from other human beings. And I I know Susan works uh, mostly in the United States, so I don't know if she sees a difference in what. People are willing to do as far as field work is concerned.
4: Well, we have a different situation be, because we are hired on specific projects. People don't really have a, a choice, and <laughs> you know, they, it's uh, we we send send people to to where the the project is, and if if uh, it's just part of their job description, so it it may not be the the most desirable time of year or the, the most attractive place to be spending your time but that it is what it is. The the change I I think I I see in in people's willingness to to do that it comes in when, when they have a, a family and certainly in in my instance and and my my younger female staff now too it's it's a choice that that women make when when they have children at home uh because we we often send people out uh not for months at a time but but for two week stretches and then then home for a break and and uh and women don't want to be away from their their children that long i i'm sure men don't want to be away from their children that long either but it's uh we we have adapted people's jobs to allow them uh to to have a career in archaeology that also allows them to to come home every night to to their family so so that that's just just a factor
2: Let's talk about, for a second, though, going past that, past the field fieldwork element of it. If we're going into position responsibility, uh, Julie, in your case, you're training uh, people in the sciences and you're te- training people to do particular types of jobs, like getting into geology and archaeology, becoming uh, fluid with scientific research methods. Are we seeing an increased... Uh, flow of women into positions of scientific responsibility or doing these specialized types of work that are associated with archaeology these days?
3: Well, I think uh, Susan is right, and there are some laboratory-based kinds of analysis that are necessary in archaeology, and I see women going into those laboratory-based uh, positions especially because they're at their reproductive stage of their life, and that allows them to stay closer to home and to have maternity leaves. And um, I don't see a difference in the the number of male students or women students going into those more scientific aspects of archaeology. I notice that in archaeology, both men and women are not as mathematically based as they, they would be. If they were more mathematically based, they might go into a different science. <laughs> I'm, I just don't think, to me, the archaeologist that is truly successful is somebody who can see three-dimensional in space and time and handle that spatial, so much work with maps and GIS. And supposedly more men uh, have the innate ability, but I also think that women have a different kind of spatial analysis and a different ability to track um, things. So I, I think that there's so many different kinds of scientific analysis in archaeology that women and men and people with different gifts can find a whole um, potpourri of things that will fit their...
2: Their skill set, right. Susan, one question I would have for you is that in the division of responsibility in a a cultural resource management setting, obviously the the, uh, main player... On a, on a project-specific basis would be the principal investigator, and then you go down to the project director and then into various levels of, of supervisory roles until you get into field tax. Uh, do we see a breakdown here in terms of uh, who gets the principal investigator responsibility, uh, males still dominant, women starting to make inroads? Are we seeing anything here?
4: I, I believe you're correct. I, I think men are still dominating at the the principal investigator role, and I I think that that is something that is is definitely changing in our our company. We we have some young up and coming field directors who. Are getting enough years of experience under their belt and, and a, a broad variety of experiences that they are certainly positioning themselves to to take over those roles.
2: So, so we are getting more more women involved in that, and, and those stereotypes are starting to melt down a little bit. You're saying?
4: Yes, yes, I I do believe that's that's the case. There's still ground to be covered, however.
2: I think a lot of this is generational i 'm sure I think that the older folks you know myself included obviously I date myself, but those stereotypes are probably more difficult to break down when you 're older, so that the younger kids who are coming into these systems and and uh, aspiring to be archaeologists probably don 't have the same types of biases that we had back in the 70s and 80s, which were just ingrained into our system that the men did the men type of things in archaeology. Are you seeing that with new generations of students and uh, archaeological professionals coming up early?
3: I think that the new, young professional is more careful about their biases, but I think that our culture still breeds those biases uh, subconsciously. I think that there are still uh, tendencies to look to male students to be synthetic and give overviews and women to be the people who are factual or do the lab work. Um, the If you look at uh, collections of panels at our national conference, they'll often be all uh, uh all males or the next panel will be all females or uh, it depends on the topic if the topic is about a very old archaeological sites that are rare and therefore they're of high interest they're almost all male this is the paleo-indian Clovis point uh, studies there I, I I don't think there are any Women, or very few women that are involved in those studies. Uh, geoarchaeology, as you know, Joe, is mostly, uh, men. It's, there's some brilliant young women coming up, uh, in the ranks, uh, but until recently it was dominated for 20 or 30 years by, by men. And so I, I am hopeful I am. I believe that overt discrimination is gone, but I still think there are these subconscious biases that we need to we need to to stay strong and really uh, work on breaking those down. Or yes, and, Susan? and uh,
4: yeah, go
2: ahead. No, go ahead, Susan. Uh, and
4: and women women need to to take that responsibility for themselves too i i we were discussing at the the break ha- about how how women sometimes relinquish their power um, and i I think that comes to uh, being pleasers and uh, wanting wanting to to get along and and uh, and just letting letting perhaps a more powerful personality of uh, step on toes and there's women still worry about being called uh the B word. You know, they they if they want to be in control they're they're there's a perception that uh, they're they're not a nice
3: yeah, person. they're pushy. Yeah. They're aggressive.
4: <laughs> right. And uh and and sometimes that's that's just just what you have to be but i, I do think women are, are judged differently from from men in that in that respect uh it's it's a careful road if you if you want to to be in be in control yet yet not be the heritance
2: and on that note uh, we're going to go to break and we'll be back after these words with our last segment Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by.
1: Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472
2: 5788.
1: Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra Now, back to the program.
2: We're back. This is Joe Shilden Ryan, and I'm with my guests, uh, Julie Stein, of the Burke Museum at the University of Washington and Susan Chandler at Alpine Archaeological Consultant in Montrose, Colorado. We've been talking about the changing roles of women in archaeology, their increased influence and by the same token we're still seeing that some of the old stereotypes are, if not uh, totally collapsing, uh, they're starting at least to disappear if, if not to go away. So here's a question that I'd like to pose to both of you since you're in different segments. Of the profession, uh, all things being equal, if there is a job application put on the table and it's a woman and a man and the uh, the qualifications are plus or minus the same, is there a trend or a, a tendency to hire one over the other in academia, uh, Julie?
3: Well, I think I think there is. I think if you look at the statistics, um, up in, I was keeping track of this up till about five or. Ten years ago, five or seven years ago, but there, the discipline of archaeology was about 35% women, and that included the faculty ranks um, of people who had jobs in universities. And certainly there are far more than 35% women in graduate school and undergraduate and uh, professional um, CRM archaeologists. So uh, why that happens is, probably very complicated in that uh women aren't applying for those jobs or uh they don't want the, those jobs but some of it is also the the way that women apply when they apply there is a vita that you know, a resume you give with your accomplishments and it is accompanied by a cover letter this is true for most hiring and the way that the language that women use to describe themselves in cover letters tends to be a little bit more passive and uh men are a little bit more bold. Uh letters of recommendation by faculty advisors will describe men in terms that are the person is brilliant or innovative or uh amazing and for the woman um, she's a very uh, a great helper, she's funny, she's good to have in the field. Uh that they're, they're The tendency for the person writing the letter is this subconscious bias and the tendency for the applicant is this subconscious bias. And, uh, I don't know if that, that's part of the equation, but for some reason or other there are still more male archaeology faculty members in our universities.
2: Yeah, but that's not, that's not just demographics that, that the old school is still there and they're not retiring that fast so that the proportion can't change. You're saying even in the new hires that's true.
3: I do believe that is true and I don't have the statistics to bear that out but if you look at the young people who now are getting the jobs and you're at the conferences and you're looking who they are Intuitively, when I look, I say, wow, there's a lot of young men that are being hired, and who are the really powerful, uh, accomplished young women who are being hired?
2: There are, um, yeah, go ahead, Susan.
4: I was going to say, it's. Uh, I did a, a little poll among my staff about whether they had female men or men, Male professors and and certainly the the ones that are more recently out of graduate school speak of of having female professors and and that was really not my my experience at all so it's it's a, a slow change but but there is women are at least represented now
2: so you're seeing you're seeing a positive change in this direction
4: well the, from from Judging from my, my very small, small sample that, uh, that people still, still felt their, their faculty was overwhelmingly male, but, but they did speak of, of women professors who had influenced their careers.
2: And, and in your company, is it largely an even split between males and females?
4: We do get probably uh, seventy to seventy five percent of our applicants at least for seasonal positions are are women Our uh, the the full time permanent staff of of which we have roughly twenty twenty five people are are have half, half and half and okay. we because the general manager of the company and i are are both women we try to be careful and not not Go to the woman. So you you say when you have two vedas and all things being equal, right. we 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 try to uh, not if we're if we're leaning toward the women woman, we try to consciously look and it's like is is she truly the best qualified or are are we introducing some some bias here that that wouldn't wouldn't be fair? So uh, it it is it is a, a conscious thought at times. Uh
2: huh. Julie, you're now working in a museum environment. Are you seeing any changes in the balance there? Because those positions are traditionally filled by by women, if I'm not mistaken. Is there a change in that demographic or no?
3: Well, museums tend to be uh, run by uh, the workers inside museums tend to be women, but many of the uh, directors of museums, especially art museums, um, are led by men. It's uh, a Similar to, uh, I think, college presidents, uh, most college presidents are men. I don't know what the statistic is, but it is changing, and I believe that's true of museum directors as well. Uh, it is changing, uh, and uh, people, I think, like Susan said, are paying more attention to it, It's not that, I think in some cases women just don't want those positions and aren't applying for those positions. So how can we make positions of leadership be more attractive to women? I think this is true in science as well. One of the reasons that chemists, biologists, and physicists just can't recruit women is they don't want those jobs. They don't apply for the jobs. There's something about the job of a professor in those departments that is just a life that they don't want to lead. So, how do we change the, profess- the professors, the faculty jobs, and the directors of museums in leading these institutions? How do we change them to make them
4: positions oh, well, that the women? One would place own? that I do see a, a, a strong female presence is in our our National Trade Association, the American Cultural Resource Association, which is not strictly archaeologists, but other cultural resource professionals. And, and there has, have been a lot of, of female leaders through the, the life of the, the company uh, with, with um, ACRA. And, and it's also a, a, been a wonderful opportunity, I think, for, for women business owners to network together with with their counterparts as, as well as men who own their companies.
2: I'm going to have to apologize. We're going to have to end at this point on this note. I want to thank my guests, Julie Stein and Susan Chandler, for acquainting the listenership with the new and singular ways that archaeology is changing in the 21st century. And again. I'd like to emphasize the significance of relevance in the practice of archaeology, and to alert any budding archaeologists out to the needs for this profession going forward. We will all have to hone our skills, I think, in more practical directions as time goes on. And archaeology certainly has a lot to contribute to these advances. And the future I am hopeful is is much more positive for women going forward. We'll be back a week from today to discuss the training and mentoring of students in the archaeological profession. The The realities of these new times demand these great changes in the ways students and young professionals receive and apply their training, and we will look at these shifts in the next episode as we did today to some degree. Until then, thanks so much for listening, and remember that your understanding of the past is a guide to a more promising tomorrow. We'll see you next time. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow.